entrepreneurship is about, it's a redemptive, beautiful like attitude, an outlook on life. You're problem solving, you're, being, you're basically living out a kind of hopefulness, kind of disciplined hopefulness that there, there's all sorts of things to fix and to solve. There are all sorts of people who, who are suffering and we can alleviate that if we decide to. I find it fascinating that there's so many social problems that are not hard to solve. Like we know the answers. It's just about will, right? It's just about hopefulness and will and a choice. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn. And for those that listen frequently, welcome back. This is the Damn Good Podcast that helps damn good people like you give more dams. Okay, I've actually never introed the podcast that way before. Definitely went overboard with the dams. Anyway, welcome. I'm Nick LaPara, and I'm so happy you're here. It's the week after the midterms here in the US of A, and what a night it was. Tennessee disappointed me, of course. I sort of expected that but there were and are some very bright spots to what happened that evening. For example, I am so excited to see so many women being elected to Congress. There were a lot of firsts this go around. 29-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the youngest congressperson ever to be elected. Sharice Davids and Deb Holland are the first Native American women elected to Congress. You guys, 70 years ago, Native Americans couldn't even vote. And now there are two women representing American citizens in Congress, two Native American women. Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota will have become the first Muslim women elected to Congress. And these are just a few of the women that ended the night victoriously. I, for one, am very, very glad that my two daughters, who are five and six right now, I'm very glad that they will see more women leading in business, politics, entertainment, churches, and beyond in their lifetime. Also, I hope you voted. If you didn't and had the opportunity to do so, shame on you. I still love you a lot, but shame. Okay, moving on. I'm beyond thrilled to introduce you to my guest this week. A couple of weeks ago, while I was in LA, Jessica Jackley invited me into her home for a chat. I've been waiting to do this chat since April or May of this year. We were going to do it back then, but then she and her family embarked on a trip around the world, so we decided to wait until afterwards. We finally got around to do it, and she did not disappoint. Jessica's career has been and continues to be all about financial inclusion, the sharing economy, and social justice. She's the co-founder of Kiva, the world's first peer-to-peer micro-lending website. Kiva lets everyday people lend $25 and up to individual entrepreneurs all over the world, providing them with capital to start or expand their small businesses. Since 2005, Kiva has facilitated over $1 billion in loans all over the world. That's amazing. She also teaches at USC. She speaks a ton all over the place. And she's the author of Clay Water Brick, finding inspiration from entrepreneurs who do the most with the least. She's married to Reza Aslan, a respected religious scholar, author, and speaker, and together they are raising three boys. Friends, you are going to love Jessica. I just know it. So why don't we jump right in? This is Let's Give a Damn, and here's my conversation with the amazing Jessica Jackley. So Jessica Jackley, welcome to the Hi, podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. We, and looking... welcome to my house 
And thank you for hiding out basically in the basement to we, avoid We are literally in a guest room somewhere <laughs> to avoid the noise from upstairs. Sorry. Thank you for inviting me to your home. It's very beautiful. I wish everyone can see it. The view from out back. Everybody's Most welcome. of the view. 70% of the view is. Don't look down. <laughs> don't look down. A, but if you and, look up, yeah. you've got trees and hills and yes, everything. Yes. Thank it's very you. beautiful. Um, so we tried to do this back in, we were going to do it before your around the world in 80 days trip, which That's we're going right. to talk about. That's right. And then we decided to wait because there's going to be plenty to talk about. I'm a big traveler. You, you guys are big travelers. So tell us about, you guys just did a, like a worldwide trip yes, with your boys. World tour. World yes, tour. We did. So, so tell me about Reza, that. Reza, my husband Reza and I have three little boys, seven, seven, and three, almost four. On the trip, there were six. So six, six, and three. And we did this around the world in, we, we said 80-ish days because with the international dateline, we were like, right. how many? What is it? Yeah. And we were right, confused. Right. And then we also were like, it's so funny that it's we can't even figure this out. It's such a different experience with kids. You'd think we could have this clean cut, beautiful, poetic around the world in 80 days. But then we're like, whatever, it's 80-ish. Probably takes a little longer with kids and we can't keep track. So it became the joke. Um, and I blogged about it at 80-ish.com. Anyway, um, that was our trip. It was based around this desire. I mean- just a general desire to like show them the world yeah. who doesn't want that yeah. for their kids and these sort of bucket list items that we've always wanted to do so we just had all these dreams that seem pretty universal to me but we also wanted to teach them about beliefs and spirituality and religions all around the world so which is kind of a thing that's in your household thing. anyway like if, if you know reza hobby, and you right? yeah, exactly like it's it's been talked about a time or two right 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 yeah. speaking well we were chatting before the official start of this podcast because yeah. we actually shared a few sentences before that about sort of taboo subjects. Yep. It's the opposite of taboo at our house to talk about, you know, any sort of belief, any sort of questions about God, about um, what happens after we die? Where did we come from before we were born? What about this? What about that? So we, we've we always brought up those questions and entertained those questions and sort of celebrated and encouraged those kinds of questions. So that's been such a joy um, to do. And the trip was really a mountaintop experience with all of that, just day after day of amazing talks with them and seeing amazing things, meeting amazing people. Was it frustrating? Like, how did they respond to a lot of that? Like, I've traveled with, my wife and I just took our kids to New York for over their autumn break for school. And it was amazing in every way. The kids loved the city. It was fantastic. But traveling with three kids, even for five days, and I know it's New York, so it's not like a normal, but it was hard. And you guys just did it for fucking yeah. 80 days. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't even get me started because I will go into weird minutiae of travel tips and hacks and things like that. Like I got this funny traveling. It's it's like a, a bag with some plastic like nubs on the inside. And it's like a washing machine. Like you basically put your clothes and some water and soap in there. And then you you kick it around the room. And, and, it's, and it washes it's hilarious. It. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like a real, I mean, not real, but it's a pretty darn good thing. Yeah. So I have travel tips. But in general for traveling with kids, I mean, it's much more about their you know, keeping them healthy and safe and comfortable so that they can be the way that we would all dream our children, you know, should be or would we would like them to be in, in interesting and intense and situations. You know, you want your yeah. child to be well-behaved and respectful on a plane, especially like a 17-hour plane flight or something, right? So we, I guess if I had any like basic strategy or thing that's worked for us is we've really normalized it. It's just something we've done a lot. That's, that's where huge. our free time and money goes yep. always a hundred percent. Yep. We do adventures big and small. Um, additionally, we spent a lot of time really building it up and setting expectations. 
And we try not to do too much manipulation with our kids with rewards and punishments. We try not to do that. We just have natural consequences. I don't, I don't know. This is not a parenting podcast. Yeah, no, but keep it could going. be. Keep it could going. be today. Yes, yeah. But I feel like what we did was really try to explain to them how important each thing we were doing was to us and what we all hoped, you know, the, how, how we hoped it would unfold. Um, we also basically starve them of screen time. They never have screen time. <laughs> they That's get amazing. to watch like a movie some weekends. That's it. Nothing yeah, during the same week. Same with our kids. Yeah. Right. So on planes, yep. you know, if they get to like, we'll build up to it. If it's like a six hour plane flight, they have to kind of earn it and behave and 100%. read books and do whatever until the last two hours and then they get to watch a movie. I just did it with my son on the plane back from, because they never watch, they hardly watch yeah. TV of any, and it was like, he he wanted to right away because he's sitting in a seat and he's super antsy. He's three. He wants to, he just wants to do stuff. Of course. And I said, no, not yet. Like, I will let you watch something short, but it's literally an hour and a half away because we are, we haven't had the snack yet, the drink right. yet. You have, we have a thing full of books that you're going to read. We're going to do all that first. Totally. And then if you get through it and you haven't pissed me off to the end, like, then you get to do something, totally, right? And it's totally. not something that's just automatic. Oh, I've got to, I've got to, uh, I need time to think or I, I just need to be with myself. So I'm going to put something, right. put that in front of them. No, so you're like teaching them patience. It's actually a, a value, right? And are, are you going to write? Uh, yeah. like a like an after trip like here's how you travel with kids I did there, you there's, did there's all sorts of stuff on the blog um, okay it's, it's I will a, link to all that in the podcast last post it's like little haphazard a little scattered I wrote it on the plane coming back from Hawaii which was our very last stop but there's stuff there but I, I hope to write and, and you know do what, whether a podcast or anything else ever comes of that or some sort of um, longer form of processing it a little more formalized whether yeah it can, writing anything I mean that else. could be a book too. We, there may or may not already have sure. been a book proposal that okay. I wrote six months ago. So <laughs> Word. I'm yes. on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Um, wait, I have to say one other thing okay. about planes, which is SkyMall. It's like perfect for origami, those little thin crinkly pages. So you can do SkyMall origami, finger puppets. <laughs> like you can have a bunch in a baggie and have like endless plays. And also Play-Doh. I'm sorry. There's probably Play-Doh on a lot of seats on planes because of which us. Which is fine because you guys are. Thing, yeah. You know? No. To- An endless Play-Doh. Toy. Yeah. They little, love Play-Doh. Play Bring them on, stick it on and you the can window and do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you need to do. do They're going to wash that sucker up and then throw after. it away. <laughs> and then throw it away because you don't so know what. Yes, hundred like percent. This is the Play-Doh that comes on the plane and stays on the oh, plane. Oh yeah, it's, you could do science gone. experiments with that post, you know, on the tray. Anyway, but I'm sure you didn't just want to talk about tips and tricks to travel. Well, with kids. we could, let's just. I'll cancel my next meeting. We'll do this for three <laughs> hours. No. Um, before we get on to the real meat of this this podcast, what was the route? Do you remember all the places? Totally. Or like, no, I really? can, we, we made like tour t-shirts that have on the back. It was, That's amazing. We had 19 stops, but only 13 countries. I think I have that right. I might get them all, but let's see if I can do it. So France, Paris, and then London. I can do cities better, I think. Paris, yep. London, um, Dublin. And for example, just so yeah. we did traditional religious sites, but in Ireland, for example, we did a day of a leprechaun hunt. A leprechaun hunt in the morning and then in the afternoon we went to the Giants Causeway and we talked about myths and legends and what do we really believe even if we can't see it and why and it was awesome. <laughs> um, we got like two hours of road trip conversation recorded there. Anyway, so after that we did uh, Rome and then we went to Athens. We went to, gotta get this right, we went to Istanbul and then we'd spent a bunch of time in Cappadocia as well. That was kind of a bucket list Super thing for cool, me. Super cool, yeah. Went to Jerusalem. We went to Jordan. I guess I'm doing cities and countries here. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We did, um, oh, I missed it. We did Cairo. Forgot okay, that. yep. That was yep, huge. Yep, a couple stops ago. Yeah, right? This is zigzagging all around. <laughs> we did Norway and then China and Japan. I know I'm missing some, but that's about it. And then ended right as the hurricane was hitting in Hawaii, but it was an adventure. 
That's amazing. I need to do that with, because I've, I've been to 30 plus countries, lived in some, spent time in some, and I want that for my kids so badly. Like I want them to, they've already seen it. We've moved around a ton, four states and 10 homes in the last 10 years. But for them to really like get out of America, even though America is so diverse, d- diverse <laughs> right. so diverse, right? Especially in cities like where we're in right now, sure. New York, like so sure. diverse, but it's different meeting those people in their environment versus them in ours. Totally. Right? Which is what you guys experience. There's there are Egyptians in LA. There are, you know, Nigerians in LA and people from China and Hawaii. Like they're all here. There are no pyramids here. There are no pyramids here, right? Yeah. (laughs) You 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 feel differently there when you're in you're on their turf. Um, so that's super fun. Okay, let's well, tell me. Call me when you want to plan it out. I can okay, hook you up. With- well, what was funny? The reason I asked if you were, if you kind of documented and uh, all your learnings and everything, yeah. was because when we got back from our short f- four and a half day, five day trip to New York, we had tons of parents getting on Instagram stories, like DMing us saying, "You've got to write a like. How did you do that? How in the world did you do that for five days? Like I would have gone nuts. Write a post, all your tips, and we did a lot of things. Right, like right. we had." I always had nuts in, you know, uh, cliff bars in my bag. Totally. I always, like, we had to map out, okay, the ba- the bathrooms. There's not bathrooms everywhere in New York, so right. you, but I have There's kids that need to go. really appropriate bathrooms on all planes, but that's another discussion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, we did have a plan, and because we've traveled enough, I know what to expect, but uh, you're more qualified after you're around the world in 80 days to write that Differently post. qualified. It's different, a different, it's different set, right? Yeah, because different, yeah, different kids, too, all that. So Totally. Um, wonderful. Before we get into your the amazing work that you've done, I'm so excited to talk to you. This is a real honor. Like, because oh, in fact, you. I just you know I Instagram storied that I was coming here this morning, and a bunch of people were like, "You're going to interview Jessica? Like, Kiva's awesome. Like, so they've nice. either they've invested in it or whatever. You know, like it's it's done amazing things. So we'll get to that. Before we get to that, though, I always like to begin with a few minutes of who are you? Sure. What are the people, places, and things that made you? Because I think we'll see hints of why you ended up you know, being who you are and why you end up doing the things you're doing. So whatever comes to mind when I say that. The who are you go. Sure. Yeah, the who are you, yeah. Sure. Where did you come from? What, Do you know what comes to mind for me? The opening lines of um, the movie The Jerk, right? Do you know that movie? No. All right, I'm not going to quote it because it's actually kind of racist, but it's a really funny, <laughs> super old school, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. And he starts by saying, I was born a poor black boy. And he's like, yes. and he, he anyway, it's yeah, yeah. very funny. So, so start. So, start no, yeah. I can't say that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, Hopefully you were born a white girl. I was yeah. apparently, I think, as far as I understand, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, in Western okay. Pennsylvania. I was born in Oil City, Pennsylvania. My wife then, was born in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Yeah? So, I mean, it's a What's couple that? hours from there. But, hey, yeah. it's relative. relative it's Pennsylvania, If yes. we're talking about LA to Pennsylvania, it's yes. like their neighbors. <laughs> and I grew up in the most wonderful, loving, amazing family, I think, that you could possibly ask mm. for. I have a brother, my little, my little brother. I mean, he's, you know, uh, <laughs> he's... Um, almost 40 but yeah. my, my younger brother and I were really tight and my parents were all a really close family a lot of love a lot of um, you know like an emphasis on values that have shaped me for sure mm. we we went to an amazing two different ones a, an old kind of sleepy Presbyterian church where like my mom was baptized and my parents were married married and then my brother and I were baptized so this this church outside of Pittsburgh um that really shaped my early faith journey. Yeah. And then later a bigger sort of evangelical church experience. And there was, there are a few that both my parents and my brother now have attended. My brother's an evangelical pastor um, in a church sort of right near where my parents still live and where we grew up. So they've stayed, they have this wonderful community there. And I, it's funny because I always thought I would be like literally next door neighbors with my brother forever and ever. And that would be my wow. life. And so to have, 
I feel like you you asked what experiences, what yeah. people, yep. the whole the whole shebang. I think one of the things that has made me who I am has been taking what I look back at only retrospectively risks, right? I didn't know that was really a thing. I would just make choices and kind of be pulled toward adventures. But I learned later in business school that I'm risk seeking. <laughs> it took me a long time to understand that. But I moved right after I graduated college yep. to California. I thought it'd be for a few months. It's been uh, 20 years. <laughs> wow. Almost. All, right? all the, the whole time in LA? No, 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 no. Okay. I was Bay Area. So I moved out and basically tempt after I got my philosophy and poetry degrees. For, Perfect. Yeah. Nothing related to entrepreneurship or business. In fact, I was sort of a hater. Like I was scared of business. I thought business was about greed and taking and hoarding money like Scrooge McDuck. Mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. that's a super ridiculous old school kid reference. But remember, I'm a mom. Uh, we've been there. You know I, what yep, I mean? I, it's no, just, I watched it. You can it. picture him diving yep. into the He's coins. He's diving into all of his coins. and impossible. Yes, right. Yes, but you, you can, can't dive you into You kind of want to do that as a kid, but not yep. really because you're like that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, more like Wolf of Wall Street or like Madden, There you go. Right? Yeah. Yep. So I was like, business is bad and entrepreneurs are the instigators. So they're the starters of business. Is. I don't want anything to do with any of that. But then I moved to California and I had to beg my way into like something to help pay my rent. And so I walked across the street. I lived in one of the few houses on Sand Hill Road and I walked across the street and started temping at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Oh, nice. And I was scared for my soul because it was a place where business students were, right? But it turned out to be a lovely, wonderful place where people were thinking about solving social problems mm -hmm. using business skills and entrepreneurial thinking. Mm -hmm. So I stayed. My job evolved. Three years later, I did another big jump and moved to East Africa and we can we can talk about all those but I think my family the values that I was given through their foundational support and love and also through my really positive church experience um growing up as a Christian uh those two things plus I guess my um I've always found adventures and kind of jumping and seeing what happens to be an irresistible choice <laughs> so yeah. I think those things off the cuff right have yep. um shaped me a lot. And then, of course, today, right, in, in the recent past, over the last decade, my husband and my kids have been formative relationships, oh, obviously, sure. obviously. Yeah. And I think if you let it, right, parenthood can just wreck you and then rebuild you in a really wonderful, beautiful way. And yeah. so I'm, I feel like I've been in the trenches and trying to be fully immersed and let that experience change me for the better. So those are my thoughts on things what, that have shaped me. Where's your faith journey taken you? Because yeah. that was your upbringing. And I know your husband, I mean, yeah, faith is a very open conversation in this family. Totally. I know that. Totally. And so, I mean, you're, I, I've heard, I heard uh, Reza on Mark Marin's podcast and talking about like growing up in youth group. One. Like, that yeah, was it was one. super good. Yeah. Um, and oh yeah, Reza's, Reza's journey. He has, yeah, I right. I like his stories sound funnier and like more interesting than mine, but <laughs> it's all he's good at that. Yeah. He's no, good no, at totally. That. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, yeah, where, where is yours taken you? Sure. Well, I remember like as Adam, my brother, and I, um, you know, growing up, we'd talk a lot about what we wanted to go do and be and build, um, who we wanted to serve in the world and how we wanted to get that done. I thought for a little while about doing something more closely related to actual ministry, but then, <laughs> you know, I don't know even what plan I'm on now, plan B, C, D, yeah, you sure, have all these right. maybe tabs yep. and then they don't work. I thought I applied for MFAs after college Crazy. to do poetry. That mm -hmm. didn't work. So now this is all plan, whatever the backup. Um, but my faith has changed and evolved mostly through, you know, those big moments in life where you have choices. There's no sort of, there are no rules about what happens next. And you have to make a choice based on really at the core of you, who you are. And I, I feel like um, 
you know, I got married right after college to the co-founder, uh, my co-founder. Right? It turned out eventually we would start Kiva together, Matt. And when we got divorced, for me, I felt like I, w- I mean, I was going through this um, experience that didn't map with what I believed. It was, it's still a strange sort of distance for me because it's not like at that moment I would have said, I believe in divorce. Like that wasn't even thing. I didn't want right. to say that word out loud. Yeah. It was, talk about taboo, right? I felt like 100%. this is not yeah. what I, who I am, what I'm about. And yet that was, those were the steps I was taking and they felt to me very necessary in in that moment. And yeah. so I look back at that and for me it was a total like, I feel like I picked up a hammer and just shattered the paradigm that I had mm. had through my Christian faith up until that point. Not that there are not Christians that get divorced and can still right. be Christians, but for yeah. me, it brought a, so much into question. And one of the things it brought into question is I rebuilt what I believed. And a lot of it still remains, but it is refined and changed, of course, my faith. Mm-hmm. After that experience and after the experience of falling in love with a very vocal Muslim, like not even, <laughs> you know, our interfaith issues were in the first five minutes of meeting a thing. So we had to figure that out. I mean, I wouldn't have even gone on a blind date with somebody who wasn't a Christian, you know, in my early 20s when I, the the last time I had dated (laughs) before getting divorced and then being 30 and like not knowing which end was up and trying to figure that out. So I had to say, okay, what remains true for me? And what do I need to uh, recalibrate? Like how, how do I need to adjust and honor my own journey, my own experience, the realities that I'm, you know, yeah, the the realities that I'm experiencing. And not that it has to be this contrast between what I said I would believe when I was, you know, a kid versus my experiences, but mm-hmm. there were some things that I had believed um, without having had any life experience to sort of test those beliefs out yep. and give them a little bit more strength and, and weight to them, right? Like mm-hmm. I... I had to put them into practice and I mm-hmm. couldn't put all of them into practice that mm-hmm. I that I thought I could. And I hope this is making sense. Yes. Completely. So as I, cha- about, you know, about 10 years ago, I feel like that was a real moment of, a real moment of change and growth and renewal for me. And my experience, you know, to just jump into the future of being married and be, being in an interfaith marriage, right? With somebody who's not just religious on the side, not just like a an armchair Front and center. spirituality person, right? Yep. <laughs> right. It's like an everyday thing. It's been so amazing and so stimulating and such a growth experience because I don't feel like I'm in some battle where I have to prove myself or my beliefs every day. I do feel like I'm in an ongoing, beautiful, like unfolding dialogue. And not just dialogue now, it's like a conversation with our whole family because we're sort of a multi-faith family with the kids now too, which I can get into if you'd like. But so you've it's, already seen them? Oh my God. Two years ago, Cyrus declared he was Jewish and he's like stuck to it. And we've had to learn all the Jewish holidays. It's all new to me. I've learned that I'm very, I really made like the the mistake that you don't want to make with celebrating Hanukkah for the first time. I'm a brand new Jewish mother, right? Yeah. And I gave like a big present on day one. You have to give like a sock on day one and like and on day two, the other sock. And yep. like, right. And build it up. And I was like, here's your remote control car. <laughs> I was like so screwed. So I got better. And then Cyrus, By the end, you're buying him a right, real car because right. you got to build it up. I know, yeah. right? And then Cyrus actually made a video uh, last year about ways to innovate, like ways he wants to improve Hanukkah. It's such a riot. So he's very, he's a thinker about- So five? He was five when he declared it and then six when he made it. That's amazing. So he's just, the thing is we went to this like really awesome Shabbat dinner and he he was in. He said, these people are great. I like this music. This food is great. Like He was fascinated by that. It's all true. And then Jasper- um, we have a kid's Ramayana and he loves it. Like who wouldn't love what seven-year-old boy or I mean he was five at that time too, wouldn't love um 
you know, stories about battles and blue-headed gods and all this cool stuff. So he loves all, he has also a separate book of um, divinities, like Hindu gods. So he loves that. Uh, but we've never, by the way, like caveat here, we've never said you have to choose anything. The way we think about it is we want to give our kids breadth and depth. We want to give them depth in a, an understanding of um, spiritual uh like practices for growth. I think spiritual development, I've read a bunch of books and as I've seen it unfold in my kids' lives, spiritual development, whatever you believe, whatever religion or not you want to have as your own, you it's it's a part of growth and growing and understanding yourself mm-hmm. and the world. Like you have to ask those big questions you, I think, should set aside time for reflection and dare I say it, you know, prayer and meditation and yeah, quietness, yes. right? Quiet yep, time. Yep. So we try to have those practices with them in a regular way. And our default is church. Um, we often go to an Episcopal church. We're actually speaking there on Sunday. Is it this Sunday? Oh, so cool. But we, I hope it is. Yeah, it is this Sunday. We got to get that settled. Anyway, um, <laughs> Reza and I are speaking together in the church about our journey and about our experiences. We do it about every year. So our default is church. That's sort of the depth they're getting as default. But they know that there's also this breadth, right? This diversity of religious expression and experiences in the world. And we think it's important for them to be exposed to that, to be religiously literate, um, you know, citizens of the world. So they have a deep understanding and empathy for the way other people think and believe and the way other cultures play out based on those things. I feel like I'm just giving a 20 minute answer and I don't even remember the question anymore. That's fine. (laughs) And I'm so, I'm so fine with your answer. (laughs) Like very interested in it. The kid thing obviously is super fascinating to me. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, we're, again, we're Christian, we're uh, Anglo Catholic, so Anglicans, which hold hands very closely with Episcopalians, you know, they're very close. And so, but we've gone through a long journey, like grew up in fundamentalism and got out of that, thankfully. That we don't force our kids to do anything. Sure. But we kind of raise them in, we introduce them to, like when we pray, when we do catechism, when we do all these different things, uh, you know, they and they go to they go to church with us every every week. And so they're part of a, a service and a liturgy. And so it's just, it's interesting that, like, I'm not forcing them to do anything, but we are being, we are, put, what we are putting in front of them sure. is what, what kind of the Christian faith, what sure, we grew sure. up. And then that's just fascinating that you're not forcing them and that you're just interested, you're just putting things in front of them, right? You're just putting we opportunities are, and. And they know that we have chosen our own, like, they know that Mama to. and Baba yeah. have their their paths and what's been true and meaningful and very real to each of us, even though those symbols and metaphors and stories and traditions are slightly different. Yeah. What Rez and I came to find really early on in our relationship is that we shared a lot of the same values and the way we wanted to live our lives mapped really well, matched together. And so they know that it's not just anything goes. They know that it's, I don't think our kids would ever say like, it's funny, it's a fine line, right? Because I think they'd say anybody can believe whatever they want but I, I would like to think they would also be able to say, but we believe in our family the following. We did this yeah. little exercise. Super cool. I mean, I think there were four actually. I have it upstairs. I can look, but we did a fam- we did our family values and we sort of revisit those frequently. And we listed all the things that we love and believe in. And, and then we honed in on like the top 10 <laughs> and, and we made this art piece. Cyrus wrote them and then Jasper made a painting underneath it on this canvas and we reference it all the time. It's great because they do hear that and they know that there are stories, stories from Christianity, stories from Islam that talk about compassion, that talk mm-hmm. about generosity, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. But they also know that those are things not just from stories, but that apply to our lives. So I remember when the boys were four, we had also just done this lesson on the Buddha. We do like religious lessons every Sunday, whether or not we make it to church, mm-hmm. we do our own little home church thing. But um, 
I forget who was doing what to whom with the twins. That happens a lot. But somebody was yeah. bothering the other. And uh, it must have been, anyway, I think Cyrus um, chimed in and was like, Jasper, stop doing that. You need to do compassion to me like the Buddha. It was so awesome. He like pointed to the values and That's was like, crazy. you need to do compassion on me. <laughs> Which was really that's like what we want to see. Point. Yeah, no, yeah, that's what we yeah. want to see. Whenever I see my kids responding in a way that I can directly point back to, yeah, um, what we've put in front of them. Right again, you can't totally. force kids to do stuff. No. So, which makes it all the more wonderful when that happens. You're not saying, "Hey, Jasper, something. compassion." Right, right, right. Well, he's saying, "You got to do compassion." You got to do compassion on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I liked what you said that you and your wife have gone through like a journey. I mean, if you're not asleep at the wheel spiritually, you're gonna go. You're gonna be journeying your journey. whole life, yeah. right? And what I find fascinating is trying to find an authentic answer to the question of, well, where do you begin with kids? Do you begin again where you started as a kid? I mean, probably not. Nope. Or if you do, it might not feel authentic. It might not yeah, feel real. Right. So then to begin where you are, even if you're much more mature spiritually, there's that's harder, right? It's a lot harder to totally. do because they're beginners. Yeah. And you don't want to fill in the blanks or give them answers. You want them to reach their own conclusions and start where it's appropriate to start. But um, I think, of course, as an adult, our, many people's faith journeys become, you, you come to a place where it's more nuanced. There's a lot more gray area. You might, like, I guess I would summarize part of, you know, what I see when I look at my beliefs now, I see fewer but stronger beliefs. Like, I can't list off 20 doctrinal things that I would, you know, stand behind um, with a gun to my head. I, I have like three or four. Yeah. <laughs> and they're much more universal. And they came from... A Christian journey, but I could see them being conclusions that would. I can see people concluding those same three or four things. Yep. Through other things. So anyway, I I I find it very interesting that you said you you know you talk about this as a journey and there's been an evolution for you, yep. but then we're starting fresh with kids. Well, it's been a long journey. It's been a painful journey, um, and we've made it out okay. Actually, what's so cool is a lot of my friends have gone through a similar journey. Some have left the faith altogether. Sure. Some have begun adhering to other faiths and then some have it's gone deeper for them double down right and that's been it for us like you can't force that but in in all this processing and seeing all the just shitty things that are happening and the shitty people like all the abuse and all the things happening for me it hasn't made me not once which is weird right maybe once very few times (laughs) did i think like i want to leave this thing altogether it made me want to stay more because i believe this thing is a real thing it's a real living organism that was put on this earth to do something too good in the world, right? And so like I've doubled down and said, no, I'm I'm in this, you know? And That's like beautiful. you said, and I'll, I'll end with this so we can get on to Kiva and everything else. It has become fewer, more concrete things, like you said. So for instance, in Anglicanism, like the thing that we repeat every Sunday when we go to church is one of the things we do is the Nicene Creed. It's this creed that has all, yeah. everything in here, are the things we're going to live and die for. Yeah. Everything else, we're not sure about it, right? right? Like right. where before growing up it was there's so many rules so many and like this is off limits and that's taboo too. and so it's, many right. things. I mean my, my like there are people that like women can't wear pants and don't wear name brand clothing and that's evil and uh no Christmas trees because that's too, like all these things that we put on it. And now at 35 like I'm experiencing this kind of revitalized way of being a Christian. Yeah. And it's this these 20 something lines in the creed, like that's it. Those that's are the things that I will. What you draw go, the yeah. boundary around, right? Yeah. And everything else, 
most but of it, I'm just going to say, I don't know. There is that Christmas tree scripture in Leviticus, <laughs> it's so true. watch it. I'm it's kidding. true. It's there. <laughs> right. Like, and if you're going to do it, don't use these kinds of lights. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Totally. So it's really beautiful. It's <laughs> right. it's it's really fun. I'm you so are, I flew all the way to LA not to talk to you about that, even though, let's do that again. Let's like, do Let's that do again. another one about parenting and faith and I all that. I love it. But That's I want to talk- be your wife. I want to hang. We should have like all the families hang, because I feel like our kids are close enough in age that everyone would- It'd be a great big friendly it, it, brawl. It, It'd be great. It, it, it would be friendly. We'll, we will definitely do that. <laughs> okay, now, someday. once we get off the recording, I'll tell you right, why. Right, right. You are a damn giver in so many different ways, um, and I've been looking forward to this. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey, the work that you've done, and then as you're telling that story, the the why you're doing it, what you're doing, all of that, and what you've done, uh, we'll, and I'll, I'll ask questions toward you know as we get into it, but I want to also hear what is the effect of your work, okay. right? Because that's what I, I'm always interested, not just in the work that you're doing, but like how effective is it being? And we know, anybody that knows your work, anybody knows the word, you know, the name Kiva and the company Kiva, like you know that there's been really good effects on the world. But that's always interesting to me. Like it, to me, we have one shot at life. It's very brief. I could no leave, pressure. I could no leave pressure. your house and get hit by some, you know, like it could be over in five minutes. So really based on that, I hope that's not true either. I, I like life. <laughs> yes, I but, like it too. But based on that, I want to be doing work not just that's good. I want to do work that is like really, like I want to maximize yeah. the good that I do, right? Yeah. And so let's get into that as well. But so what is your journey? Kiva, sure, sure, all sure. of that. Go well, for it. Well, I was story, I was like going on and on about like having adventures and taking leaps of faith and I get kind of a rush out of that. And so that's a thing for me. Well, one of those jumps, one of those leaps was quitting my job at Stanford three years out um, of college because I'd heard this lecture by Dr. Muhammad Yunus about microfinance and I mm -hmm, thought, I mm -hmm. wanna go do that. <laughs> now, I didn't know enough. I was so not the business mind at the time. Um, I didn't really understand the difference between, I mean, first of all, I couldn't have told you the difference between profit and revenue. So I wasn't even that tuned in to right. like the difference between a loan and a grant. I thought yep. it's basically the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe one you know, has a little more discipline and rigor because the money has to come back, but whatever, it's great. So I kind of begged my way into this unpaid internship with a nonprofit called Village Enterprise. And I should, I should, I always want to say this um, when I remember that moment, really what happened, I say, I begged my way in. I had an amazing, amazing like angel of a person, this mm. mentor, insta-mentor, right, named Brian Lennon. I sat down with him, <laughs> like I think I wore a suit jacket, which I never wear. Like I was trying to get dressed up and it was this informational interview kind of lunch that he agreed mm -hmm. to have with me. He ran Village Enterprise at the time. And I remember sitting up straight and like, putting my resume on the table in front of him and trying to give him some sort of formal pitch. And he put his hand on the resume, moved it aside and looked at me in the eyes and was like, Jessica, just talk to me. And so I sort of breathed a sigh of relief and mm. just started blah, like just let it all out. Like, okay, okay, so here's where I am. Here's what I'm interested in. I don't know what to do. I studied philosophy. What do I put on my resume? I don't know. I, I just basically shared with him my heart to be useful and to try to, you know, go do something in an area where people were living very differently in an area of abject poverty, communities that were in you know a much greater need than I had experienced because I was curious and I wanted to see the real story and hear the real story from them. Anyway, basically over the next few weeks, he had lunch with me again and again and we finally shaped this internship. So I, I, I say that just because like he gave me my big break in my work, right? Yeah. And I will always be grateful to him for that. So I went to... Um, East Africa. I was in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania for about three and a half months interviewing entrepreneurs who had been served through Village Enterprise who had received $100 grant money. And it was amazing. Like new village every other day, 
jumping out of bed or wherever I, w- I was often yeah. in like, you know, mud structures, whatever. Yes, yeah. Um, but I'd bounce up and be so excited for every single day I got to meet a handful of entrepreneurs and interview them to hear how the $100 had changed their lives. I mean, we're talking like the very, very first rung in the economic ladder, like people who were too fearful to even take a loan because maybe they this was their very first time interacting with any kind of um, group like that or any having any sort of training or um, collaborating with anybody in their village. Perhaps they'd always worked solo as like a, a farmer and now they were grouped with three or four or five other people to receive $100 at a time and, and grow. So anyway... I got to hear their stories of change and success, not always perfect business success, but a change in mindset and mm. a change in hopefulness and a change in how they sort of saw what was possible for themselves in the world. And so it was all this, you know, touchy-feely heart stuff, right? Like I felt so inspired and I was hearing these stories of success, not just stories of sadness and suffering like I had heard again and again from well-intentioned nonprofits and NGOs growing up who had targeted me like any other yep. middle-class American as a yep. potential donor. So yep. I feel like the cycle that I had experienced a lot had been hear a sad story, feel bad enough until you call the 1-800 number on the screen and the infomercial or, you know, somehow chip in your your money, your spare change and give to the nonprofit so they go do the real work in the world and you get to sort of go on with your life and feel better until the next sad story comes along. Yep. These were not sad stories. These were hopeful entrepreneurial mm. stories of strength and dignity and all the good stuff. And so... There were a few things that happened. First, I thought, oh, wow, these are better stories. Well, would people not just respond out of guilt and shame like I had been doing most of my life, to be honest? Would they respond out of a genuine hopefulness and a desire to partner with these amazing individuals if they heard this entrepreneurial side of the story? And second, a lot of the folks who had received the grants, they had done amazing things with that money and they were now ready. Like Phil Enterprise had done their job. They were now these, these amazing micro enterprises were now at a point where, yeah, they maybe could utilize a loan of like $200 or $300. So with Matt, who's back in San Francisco, my co-founder mm-hmm. and my husband at the time, we started to say, hey, what if we put these new stories up online? What if we spammed our friends and family and asked them not just to donate, but to lend? Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be interesting? And what, what would happen? It was very much like this social experiment, not, um, I laugh because there are a lot of things written about Kiva at this point and they like to describe that moment in a very formal way sometimes like thus was born the the idea of the world's first micro lending marketplace yeah and we're like not exactly it was yeah. more like let's help our seven friends in Uganda get a few hundred dollars each so that was the beginning it unfolded really rapidly the first year was about 500,000 in loans the second year um 15 million, the next 40, next 100. Kiva crossed a billion last year in loans. And the if anyone's unfamiliar with actually what Kiva is today and what we you know, built over the last, gosh, 12 years, um, it's basically a platform where anybody who has a PayPal account or a credit card can go, browse profiles of entrepreneurs, sp- real specific entrepreneurs all around the world, like a goat herder or a seamstress or a farmer, and lend $25 or more toward their loan need, which will be on average a few hundred dollars. There are entrepreneurs in the U.S. that are raising funds, and mm. there are people, you know, in, in dozens and dozens and dozens of other countries all over the world raising money as well. Um, over time, people repay, and the lender gets an interest-free, you know, it's interest-free for the lender. Right. So they get that 25 or that $50 back over time as well as updates. So that was Kiva. It worked. It was wonderful. I feel very lucky to have been a part of the very or very early stages and you know, we can or we don't have to talk about anything else. But I left years ago and did other stuff. I built a for-profit. 
I did some investing. I, you know, I wrote the book. I, I did all sorts of stuff. But today, my day-to-day is um, I teach at USC. I teach an entrepreneurship course focused on, you know, entrepreneurial solutions to the global goals. Uh, so that's a blast. And I love my students. Beautiful. I do investing still this now through Spark Labs. I, I, did, I used to work through um, Collaborative Fund. I was mm-hmm. a venture partner mm-hmm. there and I'm now a venture partner at Spark Labs. They're much very global in nature, very decentralized. So there's, you know, partners and investments all over the world in all sorts of different uh, verticals. And then um, I write and I speak and I'm hoping to build something new in coming months. But there's, I've been very lucky, very, very fortunate to get to design a life right now with little kids where I can be super available to them. I work, you know, like on Tuesdays, I work at my son's preschool for a five hours Wonderful. and then I start my work day at two and work through dinner. So I, ca- I get a lot of flexibility and it's a pretty beautiful season right now. That's really great. Uh, that sort of a life though, doesn't come without, um, you know, some people might, you know, we're in a nice house in, you know, in LA, like, but that doesn't come without a, a lot of hard work, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people might listen to that. And yes. Say, and that's, I feel like I look at the world yeah. and I see I, l- I like to assume, and I, I this is how I, my, the lens, everyone's yeah. waking up and working hard. Yep. I feel 100%. like. 100%. Right? It's everyone's also, w- yes. So I'm yes, doing yes, that yes, too, yes, but yes. that is absolutely not unique. Yeah. I am super lucky. Yes. Period. Yes. Like, it is hard work, period. preparation, and then sure. that lucky encounter, those lucky encounters. It's a killer combo, right? Yes. So I, no, it really is. I want to say that loud and clear because I, I look at, I look at um, the Kiva experience, just that one, for example. I mean, I started my career in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. I was ready to make life work on, you know, I, I, yep. I remember when I made $30,000 a year and was like, done. Anything above and beyond this will be like icing on the, I can do yep, this. I can live on this. If this is my, like, I was so proud and so exciting, so excited and thought, okay, I think this is a reasonable salary to expect over my career for nonprofit work. So I feel lucky that anything above and beyond has ever happened because yeah. this was not necessarily my plan. No, totally. And the reason I brought that up, I'm glad you highlighted that. That's very, that's very great of you to do. But my point is, that those lucky things that you encountered don't happen to people that aren't working hard. They just don't. You don't you don't sit in front of your TV watching Netflix every day yeah. and then somebody walks in your door and says, "You want to help me build this company?" You know what right, I'm saying? Like right. it That's is true. it is being out. It's being out, it's working hard yeah. and being in the place to receive that luck, that yeah. blessing, whatever you want to call it when it happens. It and does not happen. And taking some jumps, right? Taking and, some leaps like Oh yeah, we could talk. We could <laughs> you and I could write a book together on yeah. risk taking. Like it Let's does not happen <laughs> without you know, 99 failures to one sort of success. Yeah. It just, it just, it doesn't work any other way. No. And 99 terrible business ideas. Oh, for yeah. One that's yes. Like possibly yeah. sane. Yeah. The last three <laughs> years, I spent 15-ish years in the nonprofit space. Loved it. But I left because I realized that I was, I had spent a long, long time building other people's platforms. Yeah. And I realized that it was my time to build my platform, right? But the last three years have been chock full of, Lots of money, time, and energy going toward things that never came to, like literally never oh, saw the light of day. Totally, like, done, like never. They are. I have a. I have a, an account full of URLs that I've paid for. I have. We need to I do have, like a joint therapy <laughs> session. I that I have probably a hundred different URLs. Yes, I'm not kidding. I do. Yeah. yeah. I literally. And then the other day, what's so funny? And then we'll move on. No, this is there great. was a there was a um, a URL that I've been waiting to offload because it's it's just not going to use it. And I forgot to take off auto renew, and I got the email that it renewed again for another year. It wasn't like it was like fifteen bucks, still, but it was still like it's just the thought. I do not want this thing anymore. That anymore. never came to fruition. Right. I was trying to offload this. Right. Like I'm done. And like the I psychic to, like energy of oh, I still have it, and I, I need to clean URL. the slate. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. Uh, your book. Yeah. 
Yeah. I haven't read it, but it looks interesting. I didn't know until I was reading. Oh, really? Yeah, I can give you one. Okay, that's fascinating. Uh, Tell us about the book because I think based on what I saw, you have a freaking Seth Godin uh, in Adam Grant and Ariana Huffington like endorsed it. Like super. Yeah, that's amazing what he said. Uh, Jessica Jackley didn't want, didn't wait for permission to change the world. She just did it. Turns out you can too. Super amazing. I mean, that's so, a very good Seth quote. He's, he's, he's good at that. He's, he is the king of <laughs> yeah. perfect words, succinct sentences, right? Like his mm-hmm. daily emails that you get are amazing. Um, so convince people in a minute why they should buy this book because I think they should. But from your, you. from sure, your standpoint. Sure. So I talk about my story and I try and as honest and um, – I guess, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of sort of stumbling into this entrepreneurial path. And mostly, I think kind of like in a slumdog millionaire way where you like look back at your life and you say, oh my gosh, that person was there at the right moment in time to teach me this lesson that I needed to move forward. I have in between each chapter of like my journey, um, a profile of an entrepreneur that I met along the way. And again, not the Silicon Valley Zucks of the world entrepreneurs, God bless them, but you know, the goat herder, the seamstress, et cetera, all around the world that I met to teach that taught me a lesson that I needed to learn, kind of a business and life lesson at those moments to move forward. So I feel like I would like to think that it's those lessons are universally applicable and that the story is one that can hopefully make anybody think that they could go out and live an entrepreneurial life as well. Because if I could, anybody could. Yeah. Um, I'll include a uh, link in the show notes. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. It's called Clay Water Brick. Finding inspiration from entrepreneurs who do the most with the least. I love it. I love it. Uh, why should people give a damn? And here's what I mean by that. Not your way of giving a damn, my way of giving sure. a damn. But just in general, um, the Clinton Foundation calls it turning ideas into action. Um, like there's different ways of saying it. But it's living an intentional life and trying to find large and small ways to make the world a better place on a regular basis. Sure. Um, choosing harder things, choosing risk-taking over um, every night coming home you know, crashing, thinking about myself only. Sure. There are seasons of life where we should take care of ourselves. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. So why should the, those listening, let's give a damn family, why should they continue or begin to give a damn based on your experience? Sure. Just looking for general advice, general well, words I, of wisdom. It's funny because I don't like to should people, but I will say, I'll just put this out there. I feel like the, I've said this before, I, I gave um at the commencement speech at UCLA a few years ago. And I basically was like, listen, I feel like I'm the richest person in the whole world. Mm. Not necessarily financially, although we're so blessed and lucky to be able to pay pay the mortgage, et cetera, right? But I feel like in all these other currencies, I have hit the jackpot, right? I get to work on things I truly believe in every day. I get to have flexibility in my work. I I get to have autonomy. I get to choose to work with only people that I find to be compelling and inspiring and have integrity. Like, I don't feel like I'm compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, my life feels very integrated. I feel like I've gotten paid in adventures, like crazy. Right? Amazing, like, right. If you pay me in a trip, pay me in a plane ticket to travel to a new, a new country and I'm in, you tell me any anywhere I'll go. Yeah. Um, so I feel like to work on things that serve others, you know, you're, it's, why wouldn't you do that? I, I don't, I don't think there's a better way to find fulfillment and joy and happiness and again to like feel like you are the most uh, abundantly um, privileged person on the planet so I don't I feel like if you need to be talked into it then you might not understand really what the option is that's super right? helpful so you yeah, shouldn't, yeah. Yep. you shouldn't need to sit around and feel like this is a prescriptive you know I'm shaking my finger right now at the microphone yeah like there's no pre- this is a no pressure situation right. but goodness gracious if you want to I think find the greatest, you know, joy and happiness yeah, and fulfillment key. and connection. Yep. 
you can. And it's not through a, I think it's not going to be through the traditional or let's just say the dominant um, paradigm of go out, protect only yourself, be be a a hoarder of things and money and, you know, giving it's such a classic sort of cheesy cliche, but you really, if your focus is on what you can offer, you will get back 10 times what yes. you are attempting yes. to put out into the world. Yeah. And we live in, I think, I think maybe for the first time in history in, in the way that we're experiencing it now, because a lot of people are like, well, I want security. I want my kids to do okay. I want, sure. you know, I don't want to be out because, because kind of that, that idea you get when you think of nonprofit or, or people that like give a lot to other people is they themselves suffer in the process and suffering's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all about certain types of suffering and we need to do that in life. But my point is we live in a day and age where the social enterprise, or there are so many different ways that you can make a lot of money. You can set yourself up for success, whatever that means for you, and use whatever you're making or producing yeah. to really have a like an actual measurable impact yeah, on yeah. the world. Like it's a beautiful. They're thing. not mutually exclusive. No. I think I, I in my class I tell students, look, if you know who you are and what you're good at giving to the world and the kind of issue that you want to, you know, focus on, or the there's not that's not the only way to come at. Um, you know, your mission or what you want to do. You could look at what kind of person or people do you want to serve? What theory of change do you love? Like there's a lot of ways to get at yeah. the answer for what you want to do in any mm-hmm. given season of life. And there's nothing perfect, no no perfect right. job or anything. However, um, if, you, if you do that and you know that you're creating value, the trick, especially if it's a pure nonprofit, is just to figure out who can see and compensate you for that value. That's it. It's a slightly different twist on how it is in a closed loop, right? a, a closed market where yep. Yep. it's a for-profit business. You're selling something. The buyer and the recipient are the same. You know, It's a very yep. easy feedback loop. In social ventures, sometimes it's a little trickier, but unless you're just really intellectually lazy about it, if you're creating value, figure out a way to make sure that you get rewarded for that value. So it's not necessarily the case that if you work in a nonprofit, right, or in a social venture, that you can't be financially comfortable. I, I will also say this. I think this is like a, a trap mentally. Um, when you work and live entrepreneurially and you're always sort of in a generative, creative mode and you, I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurship is like waking up and saying, okay, now what, now what, now what, what's next? It's easy to feel like you're always on and like whatever you're building or doing is never enough. You mm. have endless growth, exponential this and that. I think it's healthy to actually have real numbers, real metrics around yep. what's enough. Strive for those goals. If you surpass them, amazing. But I think you can go crazy and be working all the time and not have a healthy perspective on like, again, we talked about the importance of downtime and reflection and those aren't money-making ventures. Nope. <laughs> so nope. to be able to balance and know what enough is yeah. when you're a person that wants to build in the world mm-hmm. I think you have to do that or you won't you won't get to reap the benefits, the joy, the rewards of feeling like um, you know, you you're giving something of real value to the rest of the world. So it's something that's been on my mind. No, a lot that's lately. super, super helpful. I tend to be a should kind of person. Not yeah. in a I, not in a judgmental way, but no, I'm I'm a it's very like in a motivated a, way, right? Because mo- like, right. I do think based on what you just described is right. why I think they should. Right. You will be more joyful, you will be happier, you'll feel more fulfilled, you will sleep better, you will exercise better, you'll eat better. All those things, when you're doing work that is meaningful and you're helping people right. and you're also making money and a living at the same time, everything tends to be better. It's so that's my should. It's like not like a legalistic, right? but like I think sure, sure. you're going to be very, you're going to be happier. It's going to well, be a better life. Do you know what's funny? I feel like people ask this in, in a funny way in interviews or whatever. 
what keeps you up at night? And I literally, every time I'm asked that, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. sleep is my friend. I flop down and I'm snoring in like five minutes. Yeah. It's like kind of a joke in our home. Like, I I've had I insomnia once stay, in my entire freaking life. Right. That's right. it. I mean, sure, if you're jet lagged or something, take some melatonin and call it. It's right. fine. But like, I sleep really well at yep. night. Um, maybe I should be more worried about stuff, but I'm not. And I don't. I, I feel. I feel like if you can can name what is enough, and if you know that you're putting your best out there every day for the time that you've allotted to, you know, actual work, whether it's, by the way, whether it's paid or unpaid or anything, you can do projects that are money losing projects that they bring you joy. You can contribute to, you know, I'm on nonprofit boards that financially speaking just only cost me money, but I love them. They're great. I feel, I feel fulfillment. Same here. Yeah. I feel like when you look at your work in air quotes there for the people, for Mm -hmm. no one can see us, um, you look at your work, I look at this portfolio of activities that I've committed to and that I I kind of put in the category of professional pursuits, right? Career-related pursuits. And some of them pay. Some of them I basically break even and pay for parking. (laughs) Yes. You know, um, wherever. And some of them are lucrative um, financially. But the whole mix makes me a whole person. And I feel like falls under this heading of sort of, you know, the mission that I've decided I have in my life. So, and the the things I want to work toward. Okay, let's land this plane. I could talk for hours, but... I have a plane to catch in one more meeting before Literal I leave. Plane. Literally, yeah. Li- yeah, literally. Someday you're going to die. Hopefully it's many, many years from now, but inevitably. Let's just paint a hypothetical scenario. Everyone that you've had an impact on, your boys, your husband, Kiva, employees and beneficiaries of loans, uh, Habitat for Humanity, all the stuff, that USC students, everybody's there that has been impacted by you in this huge, huge room. And for some reason, I've been chosen to give your eulogy. Uh, I've been chosen to speak the, you know, the words of uh, about your life and legacy um, to the people in the room. What do you hope I would say on that day? Love. Anything above and beyond that would be great. <laughs> but I want my life to be about love. And I can get pretty dorky about how I think that plays out in mm. all those relationships sure, and all yeah. those connections that you talked about. But I think... You know, the family and the friendship love is pretty obvious. Yeah. But I hope that my presence in people's lives in terms of friends and family is a source of um, encouragement and joy and fun and a safe, like a safe, I want to be the safe, cozy foundation, like the home for my, my kids and my family and my friends. And then in terms of love professionally, which sounds a little goofy, but I think entrepreneurship is it's about- a it's a redemptive, beautiful like attitude, an outlook on life. You're problem solving. You're being, you're basically living out a kind of hopefulness, kind mm-hmm. of disciplined hopefulness mm-hmm. that there, there's all sorts of things to fix and to solve. There are all sorts of people who who are suffering, and we can alleviate that if we decide to. I find it fascinating that there's so many social problems that are not hard to solve. Like we know we the could do answers. It right it's just away. about will, right? Yep. It's just about hopefulness and will, and a choice. So I think. Um, I hope that that isn't any work that I do is sort of an echo of of love for that sounds so goofy, but like love for humanity and love mm. for the idea of promoting hopefulness and and kind of this this spirit of not giving up but always trying to make things better. So that would be you can give a one word eulogy, you'll be fine. It'll be great. Love, yeah. And then we'll go party. Yeah, go party. Eat, drink, be merry. Um, yes, uh, Jessica. And lots of hugs. Hug okay. everybody, okay. please. I'll, I'll add that. Everybody to the list. hug. Everybody gets. Everybody gets a hug. Yeah. Multiple hugs. Please, that would be great. I love it. 
Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. This was super, super fun. Thank you. We'll have to do it again. I, anytime. Friends, I am highly encouraged by Jessica's words and her work. I hope you are too. I'd love to hear your thoughts on our chat. Hit me and or Jessica up on Twitter and let us know what you think or if you have any questions or any thoughts at all. I'm at Nick LaPara and she is at Jessica Jackley on Twitter. Hit us up. To find more information in all web and social media links for this podcast conversation, go to podcast.letsgiveadam.com. That's podcast.letsgiveadam.com. Thank you for all the ways you continue to support this show. Keep up the good work. Tell a friend. Leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Quick pause. We are a couple of reviews away from 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Help push us over the edge this week, please. You can also give $1 or $5 per month at patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That helps us keep the lights on. None of it goes to me as a salary or anything. It helps me keep churning them out. This podcast episode was edited and produced by the incredible Chad Snavely. The music is by our brilliant friend Propaganda. Thanks so much for joining me. Love you all. Same day, same time next week. Peace.